impart it to someone who needs to know. The gospel is specific revelation. And while you can go outside and see in the heavens that they declare the glory of God, and they point to the fact that we have a creator, they will never tell you that 2,000 years ago, the Son of God died on a cross to atone for sins and invites you to have a relationship with him. You can't pick that up from looking at the stars. Someone has to tell you that. It's specific information. So the Romans Road, for instance, is a very simple way to walk through some key verses in the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, and lay out the truth of the gospel. Romans 3.23 says that all people have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Romans 5.8 says that God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your heart that Jesus is Lord and believe, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Which naturally then leads you into a, a prayer where you could say, God, I believe these things to be true. I'm now confessing with my mouth. I invite you to come and be my Lord. That would be called a sinner's prayer. And by the way, if you've never prayed a sinner's prayer, do it right now. Don't wait till I'm done preaching. Just get, get that out of the way right now because we're going to move on to discipleship. <laughs> the information transfer in the sinner's prayer gets you across the threshold into the kingdom, but it does not take you anywhere into that kingdom. It doesn't show you anything about what this new and exciting life is. Let me give you another uh, illustration of that. I know some of you are big Disney fans, and I think season passes are coming to an end now, right about now. And I can give you the information to get to Disney. It's real easy. Get on 95 and go south, get on 4 and go west, and then pull out your wallet and hand it to them. <laughs> that will get you into Disney. But all that does is get you across the threshold. And the Disney theme park has figured this out, that they have to give you a map, a guide, and it'll show you some of what's in there. But the best way to do it is go with someone who is a season pass person, and they'll tell you the way to do the parks. Which park, at what time of day, what time of year, how the fast pass thing works, when to eat, which stations have better food, how to save money. Like, there's a whole system. Everyone has a system that does this a lot. You want to go with one of them and have them take you through the Magic Kingdom and all the other parks and show you how it works. They want to take you, you need them to take you along. The word disciple, which means learner, is literally apprentice. And when we say learner in this culture, we tend to think teacher in a classroom, imparting information, student memorize, regurgitate it back on a test, get a letter grade. You're considered smart. That's not what an apprenticeship is. And I would also argue that's not the best kind of teaching. That's information transfer. But an apprenticeship is where you come along with somebody and they, they don't just give you head knowledge. They also give you the heart behind it and the hands, competency. Head, heart, and hands is all involved in that. That's how apprenticeships work. So I like in John's gospel today, when a couple of guys come to Jesus and they, and they ask him a question, where, where are you staying? Jesus could have said, at so-and-so's house on Straight Street, and given the address. That would have answered their question. But he doesn't do that. He says, come and see. He invites them into an apprenticeship situation. Come along with me. Come and see where I'm staying. When they go along with him, they learn all sorts of stuff beyond what information would have told them. They learn what kind of a bed he sleeps on. How many nights will he stay there? How did he meet this person who welcomed him into the house? Does he help with the dishes after dinner? Does he say bedtime prayers and kneel? How did, what, they learn all sorts of stuff by coming along with him as apprentices to him. You see the difference there? 
I went to Orange Park Medical Center this week to pray with one of our church members who had a sudden kidney problem and was in the ER. And they didn't have a room for him, so he was still in one of the rooms in the ER. And I got to the front desk and I asked the lady, I want to go see so-and-so. And she said, well, he's in ER room 19. And she said, but I better take you back there. And I thought, I'm pretty good at counting. <laughs> I can get to room 19. And, but I didn't say that, I thought it. But she, but she said, well, you know, I, I have to walk back here all the time. It's really hard to find room 19. It's confusing. And so she said, come and follow me. Literally said those words. I went, huh, okay, interesting. I followed her. She walked me back to this labyrinth. And sure enough, room 19 was like way in the corner at the end of a hallway. So I, I got there because someone took me with them. And that's my definition of discipleship, is say, being able to say to someone, come follow me as I follow Christ. Come follow me as I follow Christ. That's my definition. Now, here's my vision for our church. I long for our church to be the kind of place where when you come here, after a year or two of being a member, you could in good faith say that same thing. Come follow me as I follow Christ, even if you've only been walking with the Lord for a couple of years. Let me ask you a question. Are you competent to disciple someone? Do you feel up to the task like you could do it? Could you say, come follow me as I follow Christ? And a seeker or a new believer could actually benefit by walking in, in your path with you for a season. I long for our church to have that. If you'll put the pathway, of, uh, discipleship pathway up there, you know, you guys have seen this a number of times. Worship, belong, serve. And then the last one is make disciples. And that's the hard one because, one, there's not a cookie-cutter format for doing that. It has to be personal. It has to be unique to each situation. And it takes being able to share your faith. It takes being able to walk alongside someone else. And there's a time investment there. And there's a heart investment there. That's what I want for our church. And what we're going to see in this text here is we're going to see that Jesus gives us power to make disciples. And that power is a transformed life. Here's the, okay, so that's the vision. The vision is a church of disciples who are making disciples, who can say, come follow me as I follow Christ. The conundrum is this. I asked you if you felt competent to disciple somebody, and I heard a murmur of disapproval, <laughs> audibly. The other two services did the exact same thing. So the conundrum is this. If I was to say, raise your hand if you would like somebody who's more mature than you in the faith to, to serve you by coming alongside you for a season and help you, who wants that? You, most of you would raise your hand. If I say, raise your hand, if you're willing to take somebody alongside and disciple them, you'll be way less likely to do that. And the conundrum goes even further because there are a couple, probably, statistically, who would raise their hand and shouldn't. You are not ready to disciple somebody for a number of reasons. Don't do it. You're walking openly in sin. You've got all kinds of problems. There are a couple. And that was the problem in the church in Corinth. So let's go to the model from the text. Go to 1 Corinthians 4. I want to take a look at this text, and I want to see what the Apostle Paul says and what he does. And while you're getting to 1 Corinthians 4, let me tell you, the Corinthian church was a mess. It was a hot mess, as we say today. They had boasting. They had rampant immorality. They were doing things that even the pagans considered immoral. These were the Christians. That's chapter 5. We're only going to look at chapter 4 today. But the reason that I go to this section is because of verse 16. In verse 16, um, the Apostle Paul says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's a bold statement, right? Be imitators of me. 
He's saying, come and follow my way. In fact, he goes further and he says in verse 17, I'm sending Timothy, my son in Christ, to you so that he will teach you all of my ways, which I teach to all the churches. In other words, Paul was living his life in such a way that he felt like all the churches should copy what he's doing. That's pretty bold, isn't it? You might say that's presumptuous, but this is in the scriptures. This is Paul. The church thrived because of his teaching and his example. This is what Jesus did. It's what the other apostles did. It's what Christians have done for 2,000 years. One beggar finds some bread and teaches another one how to find that bread, or follow me as I follow Christ. That's discipleship. Now, I talked to somebody uh, this week um, who has walked with the Lord for 25 years, faithfully, and I said, do you feel competent to disciple somebody who's new in the faith? And she said, no. And then I said, well, let me ask you this. Every day when you get up, are you aware of God's presence? Yes. When you go to work and a problem happens, do you find yourself praying and taking it to God? Yes. Do you worship every Sunday? Yes. Do you give? Yes. I can keep going on things that this person does. They're totally walking in the ways of the Lord, but here's what happens. Over time, you just assume everybody else is doing that, and it's so rudimentary. It's so beginner level to do these things and so normal to your new life that you assume someone else wouldn't benefit from hearing that. That's no judgment on that person. I think it's just the lie of the enemy. He's, he's stealing our strength by making us feel that it's not actually a strength. The Apostle Paul, though, he says in verse, back in verse 7, he says to these boastful Corinthians, who sees anything different in your life? You look just like the pagans around you, and you're boasting. Now, we picked up midstream of Paul's sarcasm, and you need to, it's like dripping with sarcasm, and you didn't catch that because we just picked it up in verse 10. But in verse 10, he is saying, uh, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. And he's, of course, he's making fun of them for not seeing their hypocrisy. He says in verse 8, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And he's, he's trying to show how puffed up they are. And they don't have the thing that they most need, which is power. In verse 20, he says this. Um, actually, 19 and then 20. He says, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of those arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Now, I'm not up here telling you we're looking for displays of power like, you know, let me call down fire from heaven and do magic tricks and display something. I'm talking about power to be more like Christ, to overcome patterns of sin, to die to self and serve others, to manifest the love of Christ and to take up your cross daily to put to death these old things, to break through um, patterns, all that kind of stuff, and to look like Christ. And that's what, that's what he's talking about here, a transformed life. And if you look at verses in his kind of sarcastic rant there, he goes, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. Uh, you are held in honor, but we in disrepute. And then he says, uh, to this present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. Here's the power. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. 
He's describing the ability to go through a world that does not surrender to Christ as his own servants and not fight back. To be other. That's a totally transformed life. And he goes on, he says, I'm not writing these things so that you'll be ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. I want you to learn from this. I want you to see what true Christian power looks like. Live this way, and then you will be able to boast in the Lord. Then you will be able to disciple others. You will be able to take them along the same path. Learn my ways. Now, he's not saying that we all need to be apostles who are itinerant missionaries preaching around and moving from town to town. But the principles, the kind of things that he's talking about are a daily prayer life, bringing the Lord into each situation, listening for God's guidance, praying for other people, giving generously, serving those in need. These kind of things that Christians have done for 2,000 years. It's what the transformed life looks like. It's incredibly exciting, actually, in the kingdom of God to see this stuff happen. It's happening right now in our midst in lots of different ways. It's what does qualify one to make disciples. It's just living as one. To be qualified is to live as one. Personally experiencing Jesus' power in your life and then actively seeking transformation. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I think many of you know, um, some, well, some of you know my, my story of how I was blessed to be discipled not knowing I was being discipled. But as a high school, uh, between 11th and 12th grade, and then all through my senior year in high school, there was a youth minister named Jerry. And I came into his youth group, and um, I was in a small group with some other guys. We hung out at Jerry's house a lot. He um, had a ministry of serving the elderly in the church by mowing lawns for them, and it was a way that kids could earn some money for their summer camp. Um, I spent all this time in my senior year with Jerry um, thinking I was just hanging out with a fun youth group, but not realizing that he was intentionally discipling me. See, I got to see his life up close, not just when he was in church settings. That's why I love things like the men's backpacking trip or the women's retreat or whatever. You know, you can, you can fake it for a little while. You can appear holier and more in, more in place than you really are for a little while. You get around somebody when they're tired, when they're worn out, uh, when they're dealing with a family conflict or something, they, they figure you out. This isn't to say um, you have to be perfect. It's to say your faith has to be authentic. It's good for them to see when you're tired or when you're stressed how you handle it. It's good to see people mess up and then, then go back to the Lord and model repentance and say, you know, I totally messed that up. I was just completely selfish or whatever. I'm sorry and repent to the Lord, and, and you know, that's incredible to watch that, because you know what it does? It says, you can do this life too. I'm walking in the Holy Spirit's power here. This is for all of us. Come with me as I, come follow me as I follow Christ. That's what it's about. By mowing lawns with Jerry, and by doing youth group stuff, and going on some mission trips, I picked up a couple things from him. One, he was the first adult I had seen who was always aware of God's presence. He was constantly listening to the Lord. He was praying. Um, he's a quiet, kind of introverted person. He's very different than me, but he was always praying. He was always aware of God's presence. Um, he had quiet times, I saw, that were sometimes lengthy. He, was, he would steal away from ministry and be with the Lord, kind of like Jesus did. He had these things in his life. He also had joy in all situations. You know, Galatians talks about the fruit of the Spirit. One of, the, one of those is joy. Even when Jerry was dealing with somebody frustrated with him or, um, or tiredness, even if he was worn out, he still had an, uh, kind of an underlying joy about him. So I saw his prayer life. I saw that joy, that fruit of the Spirit. 
And then I saw this. He was definitely human and flawed. And I saw those flaws too and those shortcomings, which was so welcoming. Oh, this is something that like sinners can be part of this, this kingdom of God too. It modeled that for me. Many of you, I suspect, have these things but discount them. Just like the person I mentioned, you're discounting the maturity you have and what that could do for someone who's seeking God to walk with them. I want to encourage you to get around a new believer or a seeker and share what you've got. Share your faith. You'll be surprised how far you've progressed in the faith when you get around somebody who doesn't have that. They'll ask you questions that you'll actually have the answer to. They'll be, you, you would consider them simple questions, and they're easy to answer because you answered it like 10 years ago, and you've been living in the answer. So it's, it's become kind of old hat to you. Many of you in here would like to grow. You're here in this church because the Holy Spirit is drawing you. When you come to church, you feel peaceful. The things you hear from the pulpit kind of make sense. And throughout the week, uh, they're coming back to your, your memory. And you're like, oh, I want more. I want more of that. What does that look like? I want to encourage you to get around people who seem to have the answer. People who seem to be doing this regularly. Again, not perfect, but people who are, who've been at it a little bit longer than you. I want to encourage both of those groups to ask God who would you have me disciple? Who would you have me come alongside of? The obvious answer might be someone in your house, because that's easiest. They can see your, your faith walk. But you, can, you could speak into it and say, you know, it's hard for me to get up and have quiet time every day, and I don't always do it, but here's why I make it a priority, because I really want God to lead me. For them to hear you say that, they don't, then they realize, oh, it is a struggle to get up and set aside time with the Lord every day. They have to work at that. I just thought, you know, they could hear Jesus calling from the other room, hey, come in here. No, they're working at it. And so it's hard. They see that. So ask God, who in your life right now is he asking you to, to disciple? Or who could disciple you that you could say, hey, could I be in your small group? Or can we get coffee? I want to talk. I, I notice it's this about your faith. I want to ask you some questions about that because I'm kind of new in my faith. It's very simple. I also, you know, our on-ramp for this is, the, is life groups. And, and the alpha-rooted life group track is how we're encouraging people to get into small groups. Those conversations can happen naturally there. It's easier just to get into a small group. But those are kind of up and running. Um, and jumping onto a serve team with somebody also is a great way. And it can be simple things like name tag table or an usher. or uh, There's so many different places to get plugged in. I will tell you this, if you're wondering who could potentially disciple you, that if you go somewhere where people are serving, you will find mature people there. Now, not everyone who serves is mature, but everyone who is mature serves. So if you want to find a mature Christian, find a servant. That's a sure thing, that mature people will be serving. And my heart and my prayer for our church is that that will become a culture of discipleship where those who've walked with the Lord a little longer can just simply say, come follow me as I follow Christ. And we're going to see lives transformed, I'm convinced. This morning, as we've been doing through Lent, we'll have prayer teams available. I want to encourage you to press into that. Maybe today, come get some prayer. And let me tell you something that I find happens when I go get prayer from another prayer team. Have you ever been reading a book and your eyes are going over the words, but your brain is going down a train of thought? It's like the last sentence they said sparked an idea, and then you're, you're still looking at the words, but you're thinking something else. I find that happens when I get people to pray for me. I stop talking at God, and I listen. They start praying for me, and then God starts speaking. 
very common experience. And it's usually accompanied with peace as well. So maybe by going over there and getting some prayer today, you'll get the answer I just asked. God, who, who would you have me disciple? Or who would you have me come alongside? The Lord will speak to you. I want to encourage you to press into him this morning. But let's go to him now in prayer. Lord, you know how difficult this is. You modeled it for three years, and even then your disciples struggled to figure it out. But you've given us your Holy Spirit and guided us. And I pray that you would help us to be a church of people who are following hard after you and helping others do the same. Thank you for your love for us and the good news we have. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. For nearly 2,000 years, the church has used this as a manual for discipleship to help us fix our eyes on who the God is and what he's done for us. So now let's profess the Nicene Creed together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. I want to invite you now to kneel as we pray for the needs of the world together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of calling us your children and for the adventure of calling us to be your disciples. Forgive us for our devotion to things that only bring us death. Forgive us for those things that distract us from your voice. Make us crave to be disciples by you. Stir in us a desire to, dis to disciples others and protect us from the enemy's lie that we don't have what it takes to follow you or to lead others. Open our eyes to opportunities to invest in others this week. This week, we pray especially for the upcoming women's retreat. Prepare each woman to grow in their love for you and step out to follow you, follow you with risky faith. Offer a specific prayer for the church.
Lord, in your mercy. Jesus, you are the King of kings. We pray that you would guide and govern our nation and the nations of the world. Give us wisdom and humility to those in government so that, so that they might care for the needs of their people. Pray now for those in government. Lord, in your mercy. God, let your kingdom come here in our community. Make our city more into a reflection of your heavenly city. Protect the powerless. Heal the racial divides. Strengthen those who work for justice. Let us seek and contribute to the welfare of our city. This week, we pray for parents in this community. Send your Holy Spirit to empower parents to be courageous and wise to disciple their children so that this generation may long for Christ, live for his priorities, and love those in need. We pray especially for the children in our community who have lost a mother or a father. Lord, send mentors into their lives to share your love, to give them direction, and to form their character to reflect Christ's character. Pray for a specific need in our community. Lord, in your mercy. We ask you comfort and heal all those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. Give them courage and hope in their troubles. This week, we especially pray for Libby Burke, Carol Hart, Nancy and Sandy Morris, Marshall Howell, Juana Witt, Brian Gilberg, Scott McAllister, John Van Brocklin, Joey Cummings, Don Barn. Barnhart, Stacy Slott, Paula Starnes, Roberta Harkey, Roland Dufrance, Dick Sadler, Fred and Ruth Shively, Ed and Kay Bouchel, Erlinda Johnston, Gabriel Albers, Blair Roberts, Steve Schmid, and Jared Ellis. Offer your own prayers for those you know who are sick or suffering. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, in your mercy, hear these prayers of your people and strengthen us to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. At the beginning of the service this morning, we offered our uh, repentance to God and we asked him for forgiveness and we're assured of the peace that we have with God through Christ. And at this point in our service, we are reminded that we are also to be at peace with one another. So I want to encourage you now to stand. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Extend, extend peace to one another in the name of the Lord.
like these guys are like almost more they're like they re they're hungry. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, I don't you don't I feel don't. that like oh are you pushing us out of our comfort zone? Yeah. They're like they don't know any better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't know how hard it is. Well, please be seated. So this is the time in our service where we respond to God's word in a number of different ways. Um, we will have an offering, and that's a time for us to bring our tithes and our financial offerings to the Lord. Um, it's an act of worship that we do to underwrite his missions and ministries and to break the control of money in our lives and learn generosity. If you're a visitor this morning, please don't feel any obligation to give. We don't expect you to do so. Um, but I would love it if you'd fill out a connection card and drop that in the plate when it comes just to let us know you were here. Also, we're a church that takes prayer very seriously. Uh, we pray Monday through Friday in our morning prayer times. And if anyone has a prayer request you'd like us to pray for, you're welcome to write that on the back of a card and drop it in the offering plate as well. And as I mentioned, we're going to have our prayer teams again available this morning. So the way we, we've intentionally moved some of the music till later in the service. Um, so we kind of got to the ministry of the word quicker. And we're going to savor this time now. Um, we're going to have communion. We're going to have worship songs. We're going to have prayer ministry available. And once we break uh, bread and, and wine, we'll have the prayer ministers come up and they'll receive communion first and then be available over there. You'll have plenty of time to get communion. So you might today want to just go straight for prayer. You might want to get communion first and go for prayer. You might want to hang out in your pew and, and pray and worship a little bit before you do either of those things. But I want to invite you to savor the Lord's presence. He's here with us this morning and will minister to you. So let's be, be aware of his presence and press into that. So now let us walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice unto Almighty God.
things come from you, O God, and of your own have you given you. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. 
You call your faithful people to cleanse their hearts and prepare with joy for the Easter feast. That fervent in prayer and in works of mercy and renewed by your word and sacraments, they may come to the fullness of grace which you have prepared for those who love you. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. I invite you now to kneel as we continue in prayer. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love you made us for yourself. And when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, you, in your mercy, sent Jesus Christ, your only and eternal Son, to share our human nature, to live and die as one of us, to reconcile us to you, the God and Father of all. For he stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself in obedience to your will, a perfect sacrifice for the whole world. And on the night in which he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread And when he had given thanks to you, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you drink it, 
do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And we celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Recalling his death, resurrection, and ascension, we offer you these gifts. Sanctify them by your Holy Spirit to be for your people the body and the blood of your Son, the holy food and drink of new and unending life that we have in him. And sanctify us also that we may faithfully receive this holy sacrament and go out to serve you in unity and constancy and with peace. And at the last day, bring us with all of your saints into the joy of your eternal kingdom. All this we ask through your Son, Jesus Christ. For by him and with him and in him and the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now as our Savior has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. These are the gifts of God, and they are given for the disciples of God. As you take them, remember that Christ has died for you, and feed on him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. Amen.